very different view to normal. Normally, I have a picture in your living room or sometimes your bedroom. Today, you've got these beautiful dark wood beams behind you. Yeah, I'm in a cottage, wouldn't you know? In the Lake District, (laughs) to be precise. And yes, I am on my own right now. Um, But I'm here uh, with Ben and his sister, but they've gone off for a walk uh, today. Uh, I'm having a rest day. But yeah, we're in the Lake District hiking, eating, uh, that's about the long and short. Oh, they've also got Sven with them too. So I'm completely by myself. How are things? Because we're getting used to this new normal in terms of other lots of people around. Can you go and eat at pubs? What is it? I, I still really haven't been anywhere apart from taking the boys to school, taking them to because I haven't needed to. I haven't been. It's quite exciting that you've actually gone somewhere. Is it? Does it feel different? Uh, it does a bit, but I mean, you come to the Lake District, it's definitely quieter than it would normally be in July. But, you know, it's just it's nature, isn't it? It's lakes, it's hills, it's peaks, it's cottages it's all sorts so there isn't really anything that's completely different I mean okay that you've got the village shops and it's normally just one or two customers at a time but there's not many people around so that's fine um yeah we we can go to pubs but they're not really serving a lot of them aren't serving food so um yeah but we're pretty much just eating at the cottage and keeping ourselves self-contained just walking a lot we're not really seeing many people you're just kind of totally out in the countryside pretty much in the wilderness so it's working all right pretty different to the scene in south london so it's <laughs> it's nice to to get away from it all it still feel yeah it's still weird where i am it's it's getting busier but it's still not back to where it was it, i don't know some people are saying this is just the new normal it's just always going to be like this yeah, I, I think queuing outside is going to be the situation for quite some time, really. Which And it's all well and good in July. But in January, I'm not sure. <laughs> I might just go hungry. I think the last time I did sort of one in, one out, it was sort of like a nightclub. Isn't that normally or a bar yeah. or a nightclub? And here <laughs> I'm outside. Stamp. Yeah, I'm here. I'm outside boots. <laughs> it's kind of getting ready to walk in. And they're like, uh, one in, one out. And you're like... Yeah, it's one in, one out. And I get the reason they're doing it. It's just, it's weird from a society where we're just used to, we're normally rushing around, normally late, normally having to run in. You're suddenly like, and it's one in, and, you, and you're, you're willing that person to leave, aren't you? You're looking into the shop saying, come on, come on, just stop looking at those things. Just get out the shop. But it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's the new normal. But until next week when we're working together, as I say, I haven't really had to venture fast and I am very excited (laughs) not only working not only working with you but also kind of getting in the car and going somewhere I know oh it's just going to be so good I'm really looking forward to I'm looking forward to seeing you in person and having recording a pod in person that'll be exciting as well at a social distance we have to we still got to do that yes yes oh yeah no we can't give each other a hug or anything that which is a shame which is, it, it's still quite weird, that side of things. We had some friends who actually left yesterday. They were moving abroad for good, as in leaving. And you just, you just want to give them a cuddle because you're not going to see them maybe again. And there's me thinking, I said, but I've got antibodies. You can hug me. And I thought, no, that's, that don't encourage bad. But you just think it's, you yeah. know, there's little things that you could always do. It's now... We can't do that. Yeah, it's it's just so much sort of adapting. And now that things are slowly kind of 
getting uh, not back to normal because like you say I just don't think we're going to get there but moving again we're kind of we're moving again life is happening again we're going to be able to watch tennis in front of our eyes <laughs> again That's not incredible. on a screen which is going to be really exciting um, so yeah there's a, a lot of new normals in life and I mean talk about the new normals in tennis it's just it is a, a very difficult thing I mean look every industry is having to adapt right and make new rules and change things. I've said, you know, right from the start that tennis, its best quality is the global nature of the sport, that we go everywhere, that we are this traveling circus, country to country to country to country. And it just almost looking at it now seems mad that that's what we were doing <laughs> now that the situation we're in now. And it is hurting us quite a bit. It is difficult to get it off the ground. Um, we were feeling very positive about things last week, I think, particularly with the US Open that had been confirmed and the restrictions had come out and it was all looking like, okay, this is positive. But now the situation in the States is so much worse. We've got, you know, all sorts going on. And yeah, a lot of rule changes, including the ranking change, which for me is the biggest piece of news this week, is that the rankings will be your best for the ATP, your best 18 events over a 22 month period. And it was normally your best 18 events over a 12 month period. And I think the purpose is so that people who aren't able to get to tournaments or don't want to get to tournaments don't have to and they're not going to get penalised for it. Yeah, it's providing stability for those players who... As you say, A, because there's still plenty of red zones where you cannot leave, you cannot go in. And we don't know how long that's going to last. We know that Melbourne's just gone down into, I think it's a six-week, <clears throat> excuse me, a six-week lockdown. So things are changing all the time. So it's to provide stability and to allow those players who don't feel, because you don't want someone who's not comfortable but thinking, I need to enter this Grand Slam or I need those points or I need that money. It, and yet they're not feeling comfortable about doing so. So I think it's great in that sense. It's saying, you know, if, if you don't want to for the rest of the year, fine. But you cannot count the same tour-level event twice. So if you played Madrid 2019 and you're going to play Madrid 2020, you can't, you can't have both. So yeah. you, you take your both. And which it makes sense. But then a lot of people are immediately trying to work out who this looks good for on the ATP site. And also there was the comment, well... Are the US Open now going to miss a number of players? The likes of Rafa Nadal. He won it last year. Yes, he could defend that, but the points aren't going to change. He can take the points from last year. Following that, we've got a clay court season. We know how he feels about Roland Garros. He said he's going to play Madrid. And he's already said a few weeks ago that he wasn't comfortable at that time of going to America. So do you lose Rafa Nadal from the US Open? Possibly. I don't think he'll be the only one. I, I kind of agree with people that there'll be a chunk that, that don't come. And you've got to think as well, looking at the people ranked much lower, the impact of not going before this new rule was announced is that your ranking would drop. Once live tournaments started again, that was the fear. If you're ranked 70 and you decided to not play for the rest of the year because you had concerns or you were from a country that was struggling or, and, and it was difficult to fly around, or, or whatever the situation is, that you could end the year ranked outside, outside 100 and not be in the Grand Slams. And is that fair? Well, of course it's not fair. But look, a lot of this is not fair. <laughs> There's just an awful lot. But I tell you, one person who it's worked out brilliantly for... Of course, once again, Roger Federer. He can take the whole year off to have all the operations he needs, get his body right, totally rest, 
and his ranking's going to be the same. He's going to be a top 10 player at the end it's, of the year. It's not going to have dropped off at all. This is amazing. <laughs> like It's just extraordinary Like how, how that has worked out for him. Now, I'm not saying that everything in his career has gone his way. It hasn't. He has worked incredibly hard from a young age. He's had to have his own battles, his own tough moments. Don't get me wrong. But it appears on the outside (laughs) that Mr. Perfect just has this perfect life and just has this knack of things just kind of working out. Like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going to check out a 2020, everyone. And then suddenly 2020 turns into an absolute train crash. (laughs) And he's kind of like, ah, okay, right. It was a good year to take off. Weren't you saying that he's launched some trainers and he's been doing some clothing bits and pieces and he's been doing some Q&As and keeping himself... And there was even, I saw a quote on Twitter this morning from Federer. I was in touch with the US Open organisers just yesterday. They told me they will decide between the 15th and the 30th of July about what will happen. These are uncertain times for tennis, travelling and quarantine are big problems. And there was a few people who immediately said, well, what on earth is he doing speaking to organise a tournament? He's not, but of course he's part of the player council and he's still... He's still a very big voice in all this. Look, it's Roger. If he wants to know what's going on, he can find <laughs> out what's going on. No one's going to not take his call and say, mate, you're injured. Like, <laughs> we're not talking to you. <laughs> he will always be consulted if he wants to be. But yeah, he's launched his own trainer from the Swiss brand on running that he's now sponsored by. They've launched The Roger, it's called, which uh, I think might catch on. Uh, so it's and shock it's pure white crystal clean it's just exactly as you would expect so he's been spending his time doing that and rehabbing having his surgeries and uh having a, i'm not going to say having a lovely time because nobody's having a lovely time but he it, it's just worked out for the best how damaging is it to the US Open if say Nadal opts not to defend his title and some others follow suit because things won't change in terms of they don't believe they can better their ranking points from last year? Or do you think at the moment with the US Open, the USDA, it's just about getting the tournament to happen? Do you know what? I just don't know is the answer because I don't know the financial situation. I know it's not good and that they really need the tournament to go ahead. But yeah, you start losing people. We already know Roger's not going to be there. If you start adding other stars to that list of players that are not going to come, then it could end up being damaging for them financially. But uh, I imagine that they've got to this point, it kind of feels like they have to do anything they can to get it on. But I I don't know. I, I don't know the ins and outs. I'm not privy to it at all. I'm just completely a spectator like everybody else. I think it would be somewhat damaging if Nadal chose not to go um it would I think it would it would just completely depend on how much of an effect that had on other players if some other top tenors decided not to go as well then then I think that would start really hurting it just doesn't now these rankings have come out and I think they've done a great thing with these rankings giving stability to those players I just don't see any point in Nadal going, I know it's winning another Grand Slam title I get that and he's now at an age where there's not going to be hundreds more but probably wasn't going to play Cincinnati anyway. So he would have come in at the US Open. And then it's all clay. Then we've got weeks and weeks and weeks of clay. The surface he prefers, the surface he excels and He's the king of clay. A shot at another Roland Garros title before maybe Dominic Team steps up and say, no, now is my time. So why on earth would he put in, now he knows there is nothing to be gained in terms of points. Why on earth would you put in, especially with the body and having to look after the body, 
take all that time to practice and get ready for the hard courts at Flushing Meadows when you've then got to switch it to the clay and you're not benefiting from the US Open. If you look at Nadal's potential schedule and his situation, it doesn't seem like the sensible thing to do, to do it all and to play US Open, then get to Madrid and then play Roland Garros. It just, it doesn't make sense for the knees. Hard to clay in such a short period of time. Best of five sets, such a short period of time. Defending titles at both of those Grand Slams, of course. It is... It's a a huge ask, even for somebody like Nadal, who's very good at huge asks. He just seems to be able to rise up and and manage that situation. It feels like it would be, um, you know, players need to be selfish, don't they? They need to take care of themselves. It feels like it would be a little bit silly on, on his part. It's just, it's a lot. It's an awful lot to go from nothing for ages to that. And also with the risk of of coronavirus still very real and the, and the traveling and quarantining and not being able to take your full team, all these safety measures that are rightly going to be in place at the US Open. It just, I don't know, it just feels a lot to go through when you're not going to gain a lot. And again, winning a Grand Slam title is a lot, but I don't know, especially with this big clay swing coming up. And it, and it seems to be, with the way the rankings are now, while Djokovic, I think it's safe to say, hasn't had the best lockdown in terms of publicity, although we should say that Djokovic and his wife Lena are now tested negative for coronavirus, but he would be in the best position to keep his number one slot because Nadal's not going to lose US Open of Roland Garros, but he can hardly add any with Cincinnati, Madrid, Paris and ATP finals his only chance, whereas Djokovic can add Cincinnati, US Open, Roland Garros, Rome and ATP finals. So in terms of year end number one, and that's another very big thing to have, Djokovic does look to be in a good position for that. I think so. But when it comes to these guys, particularly the situation, they're all in their 30s. When we talk about the superstars of tennis, I mean, when you look at Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, for all of them, their main priority is looking after their body, maybe slightly less so with Djokovic. He's been a little less injury prone, but he still has had injuries to deal with. And I just don't think that they would sacrifice that. We've already seen Federer walk away from clay court seasons because it just wasn't going to be right for his body. He wasn't going to be able to cope with it. And that's been happening for a few years. I don't think that that I wouldn't be surprised if we had either one of them come out and say, do you know what, this is is just too much. The schedule is just too difficult and this isn't what I'm going to be able to do. So, but then I also wouldn't be surprised if they said, hey, yeah, let's just go for it and let's just play everything we can and and see how it goes. So, you know, it's difficult to try and second guess where they're going to end up, but I am 100% confident that they will make the right decisions for them because this is an individual sport. They have to be incredibly selfish. They have to get their body right. Nadal needs to be in good shape for Roland Garros. That is you know we we know that he needs to have his knees right and ready to go he's much more comfortable on the clay with that as well um and uh, i don't know the situation that djokovic is in he seems like he's been pretty healthy for a while not necessarily had too many niggles so maybe he will be able to do it but i know that whatever decision they make it would have been done with the utmost care and attention to detail for themselves and is it just me because we had uh, a message that came in saying um, enjoy the podcast which is great but you haven't really been talking about the WTA but is it just they've just 
they've just been getting on with it. I mean, is that is that fair to say? It just feels if we're talking about things that have come up in terms of newsworthy bits and pieces, it has largely been on the ATP side that the WTA players have just just been getting on with it. Yeah, they have been getting on with it. I mean, I don't, I can't think of a single, say, positive COVID nineteen test for the female players. Um, the exhibitions that they've taken part in have all had strict regulations and conditions which seem to have worked very well the one in Prague seemed to work very well we talked a little bit about Charleston last week which I thought was a great event but in terms of announcements the ATP is absolutely leading the way they are coming out with their announcements first the WTA then seems to be falling into line with that uh, or has agreed it with them or maybe it's just their their PR that they're just communicating things a little bit later than the ATP are. Maybe they're just going to see how it goes down with the ATP and then they can come in and, <laughs> and, and do their own thing. But look, we had conversations early on in the lockdown about this sort of merger idea that Roger Federer proposed. And I just think that this is a situation, from what I hear, the ATP and WTA have been working incredibly closely on this. This is a situation that you can't not. They... They have to. They're playing at the same tournaments. They need to kind of get into line. Uh, it doesn't mean that the WTA have to follow the same ranking rules that the ATP have followed because they don't in general. It's, you know, it's a very similar model, but points are different. You win a different amount of points for winning a round at a Grand Slam in the women's than you do in the men's. You win, I think, almost double the amount of points in the women's for winning the, the first round. So you know, they do have a different point structure. They have slightly different priorities. But on the whole, at this time, I think they are working incredibly closely. So... I'm sure they're looking at the 22-month ranking as an option. Uh, and it seems like that will be the most likely thing to be announced is that they'll follow suit, but they might tweak it. They might change it a little bit. Who knows? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, the one thing I do know is that the tournaments that they were planning to put on in conjunction with the ITF uh, in the States before or around the time of the US Open for the people that wouldn't be in the main draw of the US Open. So that's everybody ranked from about 110 down to 220-ish. The the tournaments there, $100,000 events, 125Ks, those sorts of tournaments have now unfortunately been cancelled. And which is a huge blow because these are the guys, we know there's not going to be any qualifying for the US Open. And again, we understand all the reasons why you want us fewer people as possible in or around the site to keep people in these bubbles that they want to create. But at the time it was said, look, we're going to have these challenge events and they're going to take place. So you will be able to earn some money at this time. And of course, there's still going to be players that still don't want to travel or maybe can't travel. But that's a, that's, that's a blow. Some people have said, does that cast doubt over the US Open if these ITF tournaments cannot be staged but then you're dealing with different beasts you know the grand slam has more at its disposal in terms of finances and the committee behind it that can get the tournament to take place very different and you'll know this better than most because you've played at them much better than some very small itf tournaments that don't have the budget or the infrastructure to stage a tournament in these times look i'm sure they've done it because they absolutely have to but it seems like a sensible decision look there will still be events on in europe They've been planned as well and elsewhere in the world. It's just the ones in America have been cancelled. Now, we had the positive COVID-19 test from Francis TFO playing an exhibition this week as well. So that just, again, a reminder of the risk for these tournaments. 
I'm not sure where this leaves the players that were going to try and play those events. Um, there was always talk of compensation, but then they were talking about putting these tournaments on instead. So whether or not they'll then have to go to compensation, I'm not sure, but there are other tournaments that are scheduled to go ahead. It, 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 I, I don't know. And as I've said a number of times, it's going to really suck for some people. It's going to be really unfair for some people, but there's just, there's no way to come through this pe- period of time with it being fair, unless you literally just scrap it until we can all start again. Like every single player can start again from scratch and we're all going to be absolutely fine. But that just doesn't seem realistic, really. So you've, you've got to try and start from the top down. And I understand that the main priority is the US Open. That is going to be their focus. And yeah, I mean, just, I mean, there are huge differences just in terms of the size of the site. There's just so much more space at the US Open, obviously, because there's normally hundreds of thousands of people knocking around through those two weeks. Uh, whereas, you know, you go to Lexington in Kentucky, it's it's just a club. It's a, it's a lovely club, but it's just that's, <laughs> you know, there isn't huge amounts of space and it does become much more difficult. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like they, they decided to cut their losses on that uh, and just not they just didn't want to run the risk I'm sure because there is risk attached to all of these tournaments and to have lots of different events going on all at the same time is just going to be incredibly difficult but yeah it does unfortunately take another hit to the players ranked between 100 and 220 250 and as I always say for me that is a section of players that are always struggling the most I think uh, proportionately and I, I've talked about that a lot uh, so it is a shame that again it's it's that group of players that get burned a little I mean, we've been doing some, some research on the players that we're going to be watching next week at the, the British Women's Championships part of the Progress Tour at the National Tennis Centre in London and yeah, you listen to them and they're talking about yes we want to play because we want to compete but we also need to and want to earn money because I think that that's the other thing. We spend a lot of time in the podcast talking about the Nadals and the Federers and the Djokovic and Serena Williams and Simona Halep who do not have money worries. It does not matter if they cancel the rest of this year. Yes, there'd be Serena Williams saying, well, hang on, I need to make or break Margaret Court's record. You know, so I need these grand slams and other players saying, well, hang on, I need this and that. But in financially, I think it's always worth remembering those players a lot lower down who are not earning at the moment there is there is nothing coming out and I think that's and I know we talked about Djokovic trying to get the money together for the players lower down on on the ATP and Dominic team said well I'm not sure I'd rather choose who I gave it to but I think it hit home again for me when I was researching some of these players listening to some interviews and a big thing for them they've loved being at home they've loved acting normal whereas normally you're out of a suitcase and you're traveling all the things they love but it's about earning money because somehow you've got to pay the bills and you've got to pay the mortgage or the rent or whatever it is. And it's another blow with these ITF tournaments being cancelled. But at the same time, I get what you mean. In a way, I just want to say, look, cancel the whole year and we'll start again at the start of 2021, if that's even possible then. But they must, on the other hand, try and do something to try and get some kind of normality and get some 
and get some money going again to the players. One of the things, as I was explaining, I think, in a, in a recent pod with the, the structure of the ATP and WTA, everybody is an individual freelancer. Nobody is employed. Nobody has that level of protection. But these are members clubs. So you become a member of the WTA and the ATP. And they, as organisations, have a responsibility to provide jobs and they try and increase how many jobs they provide year on year with increases in prize money um, trying to spread it a little bit more proportionately through uh, the rankings which is always a, a very hot topic but you know when you talk about the lower ranked players it I don't know I feel like it gets kind of really lost because there's a big difference the rankings go really far down and, and they have basically you can start playing tennis you you win one match if you're a guy. You win one match and you've got a ranking. So is winning one match, does that make you a professional tennis player? Not really. So you know there, there are always levels. And for me, I've always been quite clear about, you know, when we talk about players who are ranked lower down, um, you know, we're looking at about maybe three to 400 upwards. I'd say probably 300 to 100. Oh, is That's what I think about when I think about players who are ranked a bit lower down because below that, you're not earning money anyway. So when the, the tour is up and running and you're traveling week in, week out and you're playing in the 15Ks and the 25Ks, you're not earning money. No one earns money at that level. But do you still consider them to be professional tennis players? What ranking do you consider a professional tennis player to start at? If you're saying you can get a ranking point for one win, but are you a professional tennis player? So when for you is it you're living and you're a professional tennis player? Uh, well, I mean, in any other industry, you're professional when you're earning money. Because if you, you wouldn't call yourself a professional music, mu- musician or a professional singer if you're not earning any money or if you're like making a loss. Like you, you'd have to be paid to do your job, I suppose. So I, I don't know. It's a, it's a bit difficult, really, um, to put a number on that. I don't think I've ever really put a number on it, but it you're not earning any profit until you're probably around 350 nowadays 350 300 you might be able to if you are really really tight with finances you're not bringing a coach you're not doing anything excessive you're going to cheaper tournaments you can make a profit at that ranking but a a very very small one so I think it is just kind of worth clarifying that because if you're ranked 750 then through the year on a, just a normal year, you're never earning any money. You're going to be making a loss. Just So would you come back from tournaments making a, at a loss, out of pocket? Yeah, 100%. I think anything below 400, definitely on the women's, there's a little bit more money on the men's. From my experience on the women's, absolutely. I, I came back, um, I'd been retired for a few years. I came back and played for nine months. I went from unranked to 350 in, yeah, about four or five months. And I ended up, I think I was about, ten thousand pounds down wow because that's that's how (laughs) that's how much it costs so I won three tournaments you know obviously you're playing at the lower ranking but I moved up the rankings very quickly I won a lot of matches quite quickly coming through qualifying winning the tournament those sorts of things you know you're not you're not making money week on week but if you'd continued at that point that's when the money would have started because you got to around 350 if you continue to move up yes Yes, exactly. But the problem, and this is where I say that the players ranked between 100-ish, basically outside of Grand Slams, it's normally about 116, whatever the cut is, it's very slightly. But say 116 to 300, the problem is is that your expenses 
astronomically increase because at that point, if you want to progress, you've got to have a coach with you, helping you and assessing your matches and dealing with data. Uh, Particularly now, US Open qualifying last year, there was coaching allowed. Well, if you're playing at somebody who's got a coach with them, you're at a massive disadvantage. So that is a huge increase in expense. You don't need to have a coach before that point. It's nice if you can have one. And I was lucky enough some of the time to have one and some of the time I didn't. So I'd count myself to be fairly lucky in, in that regard. But you get to that point and you need to have access to great physios when you're at home, which you have to pay for. You you have to have a much higher level of training available. You need to work with more experienced people. This means that they're all much, much more expensive. Also, the tournaments are much more spread out. So at the lower levels, they tend to group the tournaments together to try and cut the costs for players. So you could play, say, three tournaments back to back in one place. Or like we talked about, you've got Sharm El Sheikh, you've got Tunisia, all of these tournaments where you could stay there for months on end, play week after week after week, and they really try and cut the costs at the lower levels. But once you're now having to play in $60,000 events at $100,000 events, A, there are a lot less of them through the year and they're really spread out. One will be in Spain and you know they'll, one will be in Russia and somewhere else. And you do get to the point where you kind of have to fly every single week. Much like when you're on the tour in the top 100, you have to travel to each country week after week after week. You have to fly yourself and your team week after week. And if you're ranked between 100 and about 250-ish, maybe 300 because you're trying to break through to that level, you need to have some form of team with you. You need to fly a lot more. Um, you need, so your expenses, I mean, they just skyrocket and the prize money doesn't skyrocket quite so much. So that's where I always think that that group of players tend to be the worst affected. You mentioned Francis TFO tested positive for coronavirus at the exhibition in Atlanta. We we wish him well a speedy recovery from from what we hear. He doesn't seem to have too many symptoms, which is great. He obviously stopped playing in the tournament and he's been ruled out of world team tennis because he doesn't meet the criteria in terms of the quarantine time. He's He's not going to make it in time, even if he's fit and healthy once again the thing that gets me and this is the second case of this and we're dealing with Grigor Dimitrov Francis Tiva two guys who I've spoken to they seem intelligent switched on really nice guys what I do not get is in both cases both of them played while not feeling well and afterwards it was the same as Dimitrov TFO yeah I hadn't felt well for a couple of days which I know in normal life we might just take a couple of painkillers and off we go. You know, we're not suddenly going to, for a headache or whatever, or sore throat, suddenly cancel work for the day. But these are not normal times. And I don't know if it's it's different outside of the UK, but it's drummed into you. If you have any of these symptoms, if you are not feeling well, you know, stay in, don't go out, etc. I I don't know. Is it? I don't know. Is it just me? It just seems crazy that what we are in the grip of, if you're feeling unwell, to go out and play is just madness. I see what you mean. But if we think sort of to US Open, can they really say that to players? Imagine if they tried to drum in that sort of rhetoric and it was, okay, if you feel unwell, if you even feel like you've got a little bit of a cough, a little bit of a cold, even just a bit lethargic, like you've got to not play. Yeah, you have to. No, but then no one's going to listen to that. No, but you have to. This, What are we dealing... We're dealing with something that has... It, 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 
does not discriminate with who it kills, with who it knocks down, with who it gets. It's not it's not just flu or a tummy bug or something. I mean, this this is brutal. And at a big tournament, you are bringing all these people together. You're putting everything in place to keep people safe. I, I think I, I, I just do not understand how... And especially, I, I don't know, with athletes, if an athlete, how many times do we see an athlete, a tennis player, pull out of a match because they're not feeling well? There is something that's not right. They don't feel quite right. And then we've had two instances now. People are, you know, I had a bit of a fever and this wasn't right. And so I kept playing. I just, I did. So, so you would think that that's something they couldn't put in at the US Open? Well, I think they can do. They could totally lecture the players. They could really, you know, drill it into them. But who's going to pull out of the US Open because they feel a little bit off? These players are players who have taught themselves since they were seven years old that they have no limits that you play through illnesses almost all of the time until you physically feel like you cannot and that you're doing some serious damage to yourself we had Serena Williams win the French Open when she had a temperature for half the time pretty much playing in that tournament it's not unheard of I think it's probably quite a normal thing for players and I do agree with you it seems crazy that they go, oh, yeah, actually, I have been feeling unwell for a few days. Okay, well, why don't you tell someone <laughs> what is going on? But on the other hand, it really would be fighting against everything that they are inside, which is whatever obstacle is in front of them, they can do it. Yeah, but we're not used to being locked in and locked down. We're not used to staying home for weeks or months and then, but we did it because it was the right thing to do. I haven't been brought up to stay in the house for however many days on end and not leave it and not see anyone and not hug anyone. I've been brought up to hug my family and friends and be affectionate, but I'm not doing that because you shouldn't do that because it's not sensible at the moment because we're in the grips of a global pandemic. So whatever you've been drilled into throughout your career, surely, surely, surely this is different. If you're wearing a mask to give an interview post-match, it's different. If people are telling you how contagious it is, it's different. I just, I don't know. I, I know what you mean that you guys are like, it doesn't matter, little little colds and headaches and stuff won't stop you and, and you, you keep on going. I just think this is so different. It's, I, I don't know, I, I, yeah, I can't, you know, we in normal life don't stop for a, for a headache or something small, but this is, that's why I think the US Open, it's going to be, it, it's going to be difficult because as you say, someone might wake up thinking, I've got a bit of a scratchy throat, I won't tell anyone, I'm just going to play. And that could be coronavirus or it could just be a slight sore throat. But it is... I don't know. It is strange when you hear they haven't been well for a couple of days. I, I just think these are exceptional times. I just think it's different. Base. I mean, look, I agree, but I think it is maybe also slightly different. Okay, I raised the US Open, but this is an exhibition. It's not like it's a grand slam, a huge moment in your career sort of thing. So you can kind of understand the need to play and the need to sort of ignore it and say, no, 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 I feel fine. I want to play. When it's an exhibition, you feel like you should really just be able to take every precaution necessary, right? You feel a little bit unwell. Just don't play. You don't have to. There's no like penalty for it. It's just going to be better for everybody if you don't. So, I mean, look, hopefully it's it's being contained because that is the big difference if we look at that tournament yeah. in comparison to the Adria Tour where they were just, they, there were no restrictions whatsoever. So once one got it, it seemed inevitable that others would. I mean, they'd all been 
dancing half naked in a nightclub and and hugging and and, and all sorts. Whereas it does seem to be different in the states. So it's, there's so many there's so many grey areas, and I do understand how the Atlanta exhibition continued because they're taking an awful lot of precautions. Because like, a lot of people say, why wasn't it shut down like the Adria two? The Adria two is just was just a mess <laughs> by that point. So uh, so I get why. The Atlanta exhibition did continue because a lot of people said, well, surely that should have been locked down straight away. And they were taking, from what I could see, an awful lot of precautions. So it's just the point of a player being unwell for a couple of days and still playing in these times. I just cannot get my head around. I think the ATP, WTA and ITF are right that you do have to give the responsibility to players. You do have to trust them and say, look, these are the restrictions. These are the requirements. Okay, you've got to follow the rules. But... I, yeah, I don't think there's anything more you can do. You can't trap people in rooms. You can't lock them in the hotels. You can't fully <laughs> kind of control these these bubbles. And there is a risk with it, and that's fine. But I don't think I'd be getting annoyed at the tournament if a couple of players had gone rogue. I think, I don't know, I just feel like it's a different situation. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd be annoyed at the tournament at all. I just I just hope, especially when we get to there that if if someone has been feeling ill for a couple of days, they do the decent thing and pull out. I know it's a grand slam. There's there's money, no points. Uh, or there might be points if you didn't do very well last year and suddenly you're on a roll. And there's a grand slam title at the end of it. But I just hope, I just hope that if someone's not feeling so well, they have the kind of decency or the, the nous to sort of say, you know what, this might be nothing, but it might be something. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to step away. I would say that don't hold your breath. Because we've been watching exhibitions where players have not done that. <laughs> and if they're going <laughs> to, you know, we're talking about the US Open, which is actually a grand slam with huge amounts of money and points on the line. I don't think there's any chance of that happening. I think there might be some, of course, but we've got 256 players there. There will be a large chunk that will play anyway. Can I give you a lockdown revelation? Oh, another one. Another one. Another one that's starting to build up. It is a skipping rope with no rope. I told you about that before. Oh, wait, what? No. Is this what, like, is it like an electric one or something? What's an electric skipping rope? What? I don't know. What do you mean? Are you just holding handles? <laughs> it just sounds daft. It's, they do say, it's their handles. They've got weights in the handles. Yeah. And it's got a little digital clock on it. So you don't have to stand there going one, two, three, four, because that could be really tiring and boring and it's got sort of just little bits of so I guess a plastic uh rope with two with a weighted ball at the end right so so you do your skipping motion with your arms but I mean a you don't have to lift your feet up as much which is wonderful (laughs) and secondly you don't need space Right, and you, so you can do it inside. It doesn't make a lot of noise either. No, because I was thinking with two young children, can you imagine if I start skipping outdoors, I'm just going to lasso them at some point, right? Yeah. It's and Or they, they're going to pick it up and start lassoing each other, which would be even worse. Whereas without a rope, you just, you just crack on. So I'll be making dinner. I don't know, say something, pasta. Five minutes to cook the pasta. You can just knock out some skipping. Oh, wow, okay, interesting. In the kitchen. Is it not cheating though? Do you not need the rope going why round? Do you need, why do you need the rope? You've got the handles well, You just going. said you don't jump as high. Well, <laughs> yeah, <but> That's cheating. <laughs> but the, the point <laughs> of skipping is jumping over uh, a rope. I knew you'd start on this. Yeah, but 
but I, I jump a little bit, but I'm not literally, my, my knees aren't up by my chin. So you could not jump at all, but just fling the ball around and it would count. Yeah, well, I definitely don't do that. I definitely make the effort to jump. So you just semi-cheat, right? Well, I think it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it depends. It depends how I'm feeling. But just someone might be listening thinking this is amazing. I haven't really got any space. Maybe they live in a flat. Maybe they've got little children no, around. No, it's cheating. It's not cheating. Don't it's do not it. cheating because you're because you would advocate as someone at a former athlete, someone who works in mental health, you would advocate sort of just getting moving, right? Yeah, but you can get an actual skipping rope, probably for a lot cheaper than it costs for whatever this thing is. You live no, this this thing wasn't expensive. This thing was not expensive. But imagine if you live in a flat or you don't have a garden, or I don't know, you've got lots of animals or children running around. The, the damage that could be done. You can't use a skipping rope with a rope in your living room. Right. Right. So you've got your little balls on the end of the thing. You've got the weights in the handle. You're doing the skipping motion and you're jumping. You're just, in my case, Mm -hmm. in my case, you're just not jumping very high. I'm going to need to see video demonstration of it before I can okay this as a form of exercise. Oh, like I'm ever going to send you a video of me skipping in my kitchen (laughs) with no rope. And that is something that's not making it onto social media. But next time we're working at a tournament together, like not next week, but you know, when we, if that ever happens again, that we go somewhere to a tournament together. Yes. So say Roland Garros. There we go. Yeah. I, I will, I'll bring it with me and I'll give you a demonstration. Okay, cool. Right, yeah. that's fine. But I, I'm I'm going to withhold my judgment until then. <laughs> and I'm telling you it's not looking good just from what I've heard so far. It's but really I'm not good. okaying it. And I got my friend to get one and they're not expensive and she says it's been an absolute revelation. Now, as it's, I feel, as it's your rest day, I should leave you to, I'm hoping to have a rest day tomorrow because this afternoon I've got the second play date of the day. Wow. Now, the first play date left the house in an interesting state. <laughs> so, second play date, we're going out. Yes. Oh, it's much better. I don't care if it's torrential rain, gale force winds. <laughs> second play date's not happening in the house today. We're going out. So, I'm hoping that tomorrow could be a rest day for me when you're back out climbing. Okay, things. great. That's fine. Well, I'll do all the resting for us today and I'll tag you in tomorrow. And next week, we're going to see each other. So we're, we're hopefully, we will try and post a few little video things, maybe on social media at a social distance. Yes. Obviously. Yes. Um, and hopefully speak to some of the players involved and just see each. And I'm going to bring your present from Australia. I'll put it in a bag. I'll disinfectant it. I'll disinfect it. I will just make it all wonderful. Perfect. Okay. I can't wait. Yeah, It's going to be so good. It is going to be good. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. Thank you. Enjoy your play date. And I'll see you Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.